You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, and welcome back to part two of our interview with Ronnie Zito. Ronnie, welcome back. Okay, Rick. Yeah, thank you. We just had to stop talking as things were getting good last week. We were talking about Bobby Darren, a guy you played with a lot. What are your recollections of Bobby Darren? Well, uh, Bobby was the natural, natural talent, man. You know, he was like... And the thing about Bobby was, it was all about time, you know, playing good, good time. No matter what you were playing, what what tune, it had to be, it had to be swinging, you know. Yeah. This had to feel good. When he was on stage, he didn't just stand there and sing. He danced around. He was like quite an entertainer, you know. And and a very diverse guy. I mean, he reinvented yeah. himself many times. He started know, with this late fifties stuff, and then he got into jazz, and then he got into acting. And he was a yeah, big yeah. Uh, he was a big chess enthusiast too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he loved yeah. Bobby Fischer and all of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He was he was something, man. How I, long did you play with him? Uh four years. And when did that yeah. end? I think it was about a year before I went with Woody. Uh, 64. And sadly, he died too young at the age of 37. Yeah, he kind of knew. He was, you know, he would every once in a while talk about, you know, that's why he was very ambitious. And he, he, he used to talk about uh, having a short lifespan, you know? It was weird. It was, really? So he sensed know, it somehow. Every once in a while, he would go into some kind of thing. Well, I don't know how much time I have, you know, because he had a congenital heart problem, you know, disease. And uh, then I think he, something happened where he, he passed away. He went to the dentist and had work done on his teeth, got an infection. It settled in his heart. You know, that's what happened with him. That but, was very uh, sad. Yeah, yeah. We lost a great one that day. I know, man. Jesus. We touched on uh, your family life growing up a little bit in last week's episode. You've got three yeah. siblings, or you had three siblings. I, yeah. I think what Ari, Freddie, Tori, is that it? Yeah. They yeah. were all musicians, too. What was their trajectory? Did they become professionals like you did? Yeah, well, my brother Freddie played with every band, man. He was my half-brother, Freddie, and he, he was much older than me. He went, when I was a, a toddler, he he went on the road with Stan Kent's band, you know. Oh wow! All Charlie Barnett. He played with every big band. Those guys in those days in the big band era, they used to go from one band to another. Yeah. You know? They they'd stay for a while in one band and go to another band, and and he was right in that loop, you know, where he was playing with everyone. Gene Krupa's big band. Played with everyone, you know, real good, good trombone player. You know, as musicians, we all have heroes. We always have these people that we admire, we look up to, we aspire to be like. I'm sure you've had your picks as well. I'm just going to throw a few out, and you just naturally react to them if you could. Um, I've had jazz drummers on this show before, and it seems like every one of them looks up to Art Blakey. Were you yeah. a Art Blakey oh, guy? Oh, oh, I'll take that please. as a yes. Are you kidding, man? That was that's that's who I wanted to be when I was fifteen. <laughs> I think the pop guys wanted to be Hal Blaine, but the jazz guys wanted to be Blakey. I, I wanted to be Blakey, man. Yeah, but 
then it's funny you mentioned the, the pop guys because I remember being in California years ago and, and meeting Al Blaine, you know, and uh, and he was something though. He was he was wonderful. Well, probably played on more hits than any drummer oh, I can think of. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let me throw a couple more your way. How about Philly Joe Jones? Oh, another one. <laughs> Talk about a hero, please. That Philly Joe. That's that was the one and only. Well, you mentioned Gene Krupa a little while ago. What about him? He was oh, huge. Gene Krupa, man. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you the truth. When I was younger, I wasn't into Gene Krupa, but as I got older, my years changed. I realized, oh my God, this guy, the sound, he, just the sound that he got out of the drums, man, was, was magnificent. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. A real big guy in drums. I met Buddy Rich. It was wasted on me at the time. I was only 12, and I don't think I quite grasped the significance of it like I do now. Yeah. Funny you mentioned Buddy because when we won that jazz contest at the the collegiate group, we played at the Cafe Bohemia, I mentioned. Yes. Do you know who it was opposite? My first job in New York, I was opposite Buddy Rich's quintet. Oh, man. And I was like... said the same thing to me when I met him. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he says to me one night, he used to sit down below uh, and sit off to the side. And we'd be playing, he'd be staring up at me, you know. He'd be like kind of looking at me, looking at the guys in the band. And he got up to play his set, and he said to me, as he walked past me, you sound very good. Real, real t- you know, like tough. He said, you sound very good. And wow. I said, oh, Thank you. And I was, of course, thrilled. Oh, my God. Like he shouted it at me, you know. <laughs> sound very good. <laughs> but I, I really appreciated that, you know. What do you think of Elvin Jones? Oh, God. Uh, another another legend, man. I mean, man. I mean, that's, that's, that's something else, too. He was, he was uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I still, if I see a video of him or listen to something, I'm still just completely fascinated. He was like a magician, you know, a musical magician, <laughs> you know, to, to create what he cre- created, you know, it's just, just incredible, man. Ah. We'll call it a musician. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about session people for for one more second. We touched on it a little bit in the last segment. You were in this group of hundreds of session players that play on people's stuff all through the 60s and 70s and beyond. Did you develop friendships with other session people? I mean, I picture everybody going to barbecues together. I mean, what was it really like? Well, well, yeah, there were were some parties, you know, Christmas Christmas parties and... Stuff like that, where we'd hang, or or in between sessions. In those days, like in the seventies, there was so much work, so many sessions that we used to hang out in between sessions. You know, we'd we'd have a ten o'clock date in the morning. We'd leave there at twelve thirty, say, you know, something like that. Go have 
lunch, we'd hang out together, have, have lunch together, and then go back to another session. And, and maybe with a combination of different guys, maybe one or two guys were different. There was so much work then. The, the industry was completely different. It was like, it, there were studios all over New York that you could literally walk to in mid- Midtown in between, from you know, go from one session to another, and it would take you five minutes to get there. Walk, I mean. A lot of changes in the music business over the oh, years. Uh, session work, mostly the 70s for me. So when the mostly. 80s came along, Ronnie, was it, I mean, we're talking the era of the drum machine. Did Well, there, there you go. Everybody you go. wanted a drum machine for some reason oh. on the recording. What, what did that do to oh. your profession at the time? Shocking! I, I mean, I went out and bought a Lynn drum machine, and I, I, and I spent a lot of money. I got desperate, and I started to learn to program. I would go to a date, say, I'd go to a date, and I would keep the drum part. Uh, you know, I'd play it live. I'd keep the drum part and go home and try to program it into the machine, hmm. what I played, that was written. You know, I would keep the drum part. One day, after about three, four weeks, I got so upset with what I was doing, I felt like I wasn't practicing the drums. I wasn't playing the drums that much. I was trying to figure out what button to push. I put the machine away, put it on a shelf, never took it down, it's still there. <laughs> wow. So that's, that's what that did, man, that was shocking. Of course, everything changed, you know, your income changes, uh, you know, your uh, your life changes. Yeah. You know? I want to talk about some other things as well, like some movie work and TV work. I mean, inevitably, session oh, players yeah. are, are going to be on anything. You know, it's a diff- that's the difference between a session player, I think, and uh, just somebody who plays in a yeah. rock band is yeah. you, you play yeah. on anything. There's, there's tons yeah, of... Yeah, I did uh, a lot of film dates. Yeah, I did. There was a guy named Carter Burwell you worked with. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. For, for the Coen Brothers. For the Coen Brothers, specifically yeah. the movie The Man Who Wasn't There. One of my favorite Coen Brothers movies, by the way. I also heard a rumor you may have played tambourine on the soundtrack to The Cotton Club, the Francis Ford Coppola movie. I don't remember. I know I was on The Cotton Club, uh, but I don't know what I was... I, no, I played drums on some of that. Did you? Yeah. There were a lot of a lot of dates for that, that movie, yeah. The movie you mentioned, the, the Cohen movie. So what they what what they asked me to do? There was a, a big band. Alan Faust was was the writer on that, but it was for Carter Burwell. But Alan Faust was his a, a real good writer in New York. Who was he used him to to do additional work that he needed. Carter Burwell. I think there's a scene in the movie where it's a ballroom, but you don't really see the ballroom. But it's in the background. The ballroom is in the background. And there's a drum solo, sort of like just a rumbling drum solo that I, that I did for that film. Because that's what they asked me to do. Carter Burwell came out and said, could you, could you do this? Could you do that? You know, And people on a date, man, were, I mean, John Patitucci was playing bass. Wow. You know, like a really, really a lot of names, man, jazz players. Anyway, that's what I had to do in that film. That was about it, you know. Uh, Did the director ever have any comments for the musicians? Were they involved at all, or did they just well, say, they, hand it in when it's done? No, no, it always went through the conductor, man, or 
the writer, mm-hmm. you know, and never, the director may, would, would ask them, and then they wouldn't, the director would never ask the musician, hardly ever do that. Is it true know? that in television work, you played on some of those old classic Christmas specials, like Santa Claus has come to town, or Rudolph the oh, Red-Nosed Reindeer? man, Rainbow? I did, yeah. You did those That's, things. It's still on the air, man. I mean, those and are it, classics. That, and it's oh. funny, it's like, it's, what's funny is when we, when I did those, it was with a big orchestra. You know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Burl Ives is on them. Uh, and when I did those, they were called, uh, they, in other words, they didn't, they didn't want to pay reuse on them. They didn't want to pay, have to pay residuals on those, right? So they gave us more money when we recorded because they weren't going to pay us residuals. So you get, I'm, actually I'm losing get... a lot of money. <laughs> long story short. Is that how it worked? You, you would get paid more for a session that you knew you wouldn't get any residuals for? That was a buyout. That was called that. And you know, that's illegal with the union. That's illegal, man. Yeah. But guys, we used to do it every once in a while. If the money was real good, the, the initial payment, we would do it. You know, especially if it, was a, if it was a slow week or something. As a matter of fact, we were so busy sometimes doing record dates and jingles that if somebody called me for a film date, I didn't want to do it. Because if you miss a jingle, you made more money with residuals from a jingle than any film date. And it's usually a lot shorter, too. Oh, yeah, 60 seconds, 40, you know, 20 seconds. But then they would, what they would do is they... They would tack that music track onto other spots. Of course, now it's different now uh, with film. You do get a payment now. It's a little different. It's it's not like a lot of money, but you, you do get a payment for, for like there's certain movies that are. I, I I still get payments for like the Untouchables. I paid. I did some work on the Untouchables. I didn't know that. Great film. Uh, and uh, the one with yeah Kevin Costner yeah yeah Robert and, uh, De Niro. As Al Capone. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. Actually, I did a, a film with, with uh, De Niro's Catatonic in it. Remember that film? Where yeah, Awakenings. Awakenings. I worked on that, right? So what, what was great about that was we did the music. Music is done most of the time. It's done a half, way ahead of time, you know. So they decided when they were shooting the film that they wanted to use the band, the studio band, so that when we mimed playing, we would know how to do it because we knew the arrangements. We knew the arrangements because we played it live. They, in other words, they used what we played, of course, but they, on film, they wanted us on camera. We were on camera for, for maybe like, maybe, I don't know how long, not, not very long. That was Penny Marshall, I think. She, that's, she, that's right, it was Penny Marshall. You know, you're yeah. speaking of jingles, by the way, you're on one of my all-time favorite jingles. If you are a New Yorker, you could not escape this for the last 50 years. It's I don't know if it was made by the Chamber of Commerce or what, but it's I Love New York, the famous I Love oh, New that, York jingle. That's right, that's you try, right. You yeah. play on that. Yeah, Steve Carmen was the writer on that. Yeah. I yeah. love New York. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard that great, my whole life. Great musicians. And Ralph McDonald, the great percussionist playing conga drum. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I want to play that. I want to play that right now, mostly for the other 49 yeah. states that haven't heard it their whole lives. Uh, <laughs> okay. You're planning a long vacation or just a day or two. 
You're finally on vacation. You're wondering what to do. You want some place that's different. You want some place that's special. You can have a great vacation in New York. And you say, I love New York. You think I love nothing. I love New York. And there's such great sailing. Wow, there it is. You've played a lot of venues from the Copacabana to the Ed Sullivan Theater. A lot of musicians that tour with big names... When they're not on the road, they do pick up gigs or make money any way they can, playing in smaller clubs or bars, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Was it hard to make that transition be- between some of these fantastic venues and then suddenly you're playing at the corner bar again for a while? Well, I'll tell you the truth, man. I loved playing in, in clubs. You know, I still do. Of course, now we're, we're not playing anywhere. But I, I really, for a lot less money, man, but the fun was there. I used to work with Derek Smith all the time, who was, I don't know if you ever heard of him, the great piano player. He used to do The Tonight Show uh, with Doc Severinsen, you know. I, I used to work with his quartet. It was me, Jack Wilkins, Harvey Schwartz, and him. And we used to do different jazz gigs, man. And I, I couldn't wait to do them. I guess jazz musicians probably are used to playing in smaller venues because jazz was never, never had the appeal that pop music did to the the mass audience. Yeah, I mean, we didn't play in stadiums or anything. (laughs) Like like now, you know, with the rock concerts and everything, man, where there's thousands, you know, it's incredible, man. You know, Ronnie, I meant to tell you, I know your son, Ron, and he's also oh, yeah. a fantastic musician, uh, a great guitar oh, player, a great singer. He's got Zito oh. Three, and uh, he's got probably the best Beatles band in the land. And I've oh even... yeah, he does, he does, yeah, yeah. You, you must be very proud of him. I am, I am. He's, he's just musical. He's from when he was a baby, you know, spinning records, forty fives, sitting down. Listening to 45s, man, before, practically before he talked, he was listening. He knew he knew tunes before he talked. <laughs> you know, it's incredible. Yeah, I've hired him for a couple of things myself. I'm a musician. Yeah, he mentioned that. It's that's so great. Wow. You know, what was it like raising three kids and being on the road all the time? Was it was that difficult? Well, or? no, no, I wasn't on the road. That's when I got into the studio thing, very heavy in New York. So well, I didn't travel. When I had the children, I didn't travel a lot, no. Well, that's very handy to ha- have that session work in your back pocket. Cause well, you could that, still... That's what it was, man. It was like that. It was like I was motivated by my family, you know, just stay around. I, I dug it. I, I, I love them. You also have a jazz trio. Yeah, a jazz trio with Ron Afif, great jazz guitar player. And you don't and... play in that trio anymore? No, no. We, we, we had this gig... Actually, it was just one night a week, but it was fun, man. It was like, after a while, I was using organ, you know, jazz organ. Kyle Kohler, great player. 
Was that essential to, to go out and play for you? Because you were a jazz yeah. musician at heart. Yeah. You yeah, probably needed to do that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not just for money. Uh, no, hardly any money in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was close, man, close to home. Like, you know, it was like in the next town. In these COVID times, uh, everything has stopped. All music has stopped. Up until that point, you were working on Broadway in Chicago. You mentioned it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. 23 uh, years, you know. 23 years? Wow. 23 years, man. Yeah, I've been with that. And what kind of schedule is that? you got to play almost every night, right? Well, eight, eight shows a week, but I never, after a while, I only did maybe six, and I used subs. You know, you have to have subs for those jobs. Sure. And I, I, you know, they have to come sit next to you and watch, and I'll give them a copy of the music. You know, they all have to know how to read and everything. And, um, and good guys, I got good guys, man. Do you miss playing music right now? I mean, I mean, none oh, of us can. Very much so. Yeah, me yeah, too. Anything, even the show. <laughs> I mean, you would think after twenty-three years, I'd be sick of it. No way. I, I'm. It was fun. Great time. There was a lot of drumming in it. Believe it or not. I mean, I with with the way it developed when I started it. You know, I I added stuff. You know. And it, it made it great, I thought. We got into a good feel, a good feel all the time, a rhythmic feel. It was good. Ronnie, I'm a big fan of your work. I really appreciate you stopping oh. in and being part of the show. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so oh, much for doing this it. Was, this was great, yeah. It's not 100% over yet because there's one thing I have left to do. I want to play a song to take the show out. It's one of my favorites that you've played on. You know it well, Swear to God by Frankie Valli. Oh, wow. What do you say we take a listen? Okay, okay. You're not sick of it, right? No, I, I like the chart, man. I like the, I like the <laughs> arrangement on it. Yeah. This is Swear to God by Frankie Valli and the great Ronnie Zito on drums. Take a listen.
once again, thank you very much, Ronnie. Oh, thank you. This this was fun. Yeah. And, and be careful out there and take care of yourself. All right, Rick. Thank you. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Rusty Johnson. Please click subscribe. We could always use more followers. And please come back next week, and who knows who's going to be sitting in this chair next to me. Oh, wait, nobody, Rusty. We're not going to have anyone. <laughs> We're going to be doing this over the phone for... I have no idea how long, but we're still going to be here. The Rick Z Show is still alive and well, and we'll see you next week.